0: Need something for your kids to do these holidays? AFL Max runs footy programs and camps focusing on skill development, fitness, leadership, nutrition, and more. Each school holidays, jump on aflmax.com.au to learn more and register.
1: Hi, everyone. Pods here. Welcome to Max Mentors, a show that connects grassroots coaches to people that have professional experience. This is episode three. Now, for those of you that are new to Max Mentors, the objective is to give our community and aspiring coaches an insight into what different coaches at the elite level have done, do, and how you can apply it to grassroots coaching. Hopefully the learnings you get from listening to our mentors will help you take your coaching to the next level and assist in developing and engaging your players. We know that the coach is the most influential person in any player's sporting life, junior or senior. So it's great to have you here listening to our mentors. Our guest today is Daniel Harford, the current Carlton AFLW head coach. Harf played 162 games with Hawthorne and Carlton and then ventured into the media. He has hosted many successful radio programs and is currently the host or the co-host of RSN's 927 Breakfast Show. If you've heard him on the radio, his energy is unmatched. But when you talk to him about coaching, I think it goes up another level. You'll clearly see that Half is more than just a radio personality. He's articulate, he's passionate, and he loves footy. And I think all those three things make him a coach that you want to play for. There is coaching gems here at Max Mentors, so get your notepads ready and let's press play on my chat with Half. I reckon we're really fortunate to um, have Daniel Harford here with us tonight. Um, not only from a coaching perspective, but has a um you know an extensive profile with media. We won't get too much into that half today. But um a bit of a background to half, just for those of you that don't know him, um, was the eighth draft pick for, from Northern. Is it Northern Knights back then half? Yeah, back northern
0: just, Knights back then, yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah, back in '94 to the Hawks. Uh played 153 games with the Hawks as a as a these these days it's called an inside mid. I don't know what it was it called back then, but just an um, on back then, mate. Yeah, on but inside mid, hard at it. Um, traded to Carlton in 2003, spent a season there, added another nine games to his tally, uh, then went on to play uh, VFA and VFL. I think we might have crossed paths in the VFL when you were playing yeah. Northern Bullets, um, half in 06. Um, had a couple of games against you then. Then uh, you went and played at a in which I want to um, explore today. You were there for five years as their coach as well, playing coach to start with, and then um, on the sidelines. You then coached St. Kevin's in the uh, Victoria Amateur Football League, uh, went on from there to be the assistant coach of the Collingwood AFLW team in 2018 Um stop me if I've missed anything. And then, um, mate, you did a, you know, a fantastic achievement from coaching at the head coaching job. We, we briefly talked about it um, before we met tonight um, of the Carlton AFLW team. So we'll talk about how you've taken them from um, bottom of the ladder to grand final in their first year in 2019 and 2020 was your second season. And unfortunately that was cut short uh, Due to due to COVID nineteen, so um, I'm sure you've got bigger and, and better things planned going forward. There, uh, I mentioned it before as well. Um, a successful media career, hosting his own shows. So you you are feeling uncomfortable now because you're in the um, in the recipient seat. Uh, yeah. So it's on me. Uh, currently, the host of Breakfast Club on RSN nine two seven in Melbourne. At, where else does that go half? Huh? Is that in Victoria? was in a Tessie
0: as well. It was in Victoria Tessie as well. Tessie, all through Victoria and all through Tessie.
1: Yeah. So half needed to be in bed thirty minutes ago. So we've got to keep this. <laughs> keep this short, um, family life, married to Beck, uh, daughter, Abri and, and son, William. So mate, thanks for joining us. Um, I know it's past your bedtime, as you said, but, um, yeah, uh, Julia from, uh, Coach AFL, uh, was fantastic in, in organizing this and, uh, I couldn't think of a better person to have Max Mentors 3, um,
0: with. Happy to help, mate. Nice to be a part of it. So yeah, it's going through all that. Um, I've been around a while. All that says to me is I've been around a while, Pods.
1: Yeah, and you had a full head of hair before you started coaching, as I said before.
0: Well, that's the you sad start- part. I don't know what's happened there. I don't know where that happened. <laughs> and the uh,
1: light's shining light on it too. Yeah, I know. you got to get light from the front of work <laughs> out, not from the top. <laughs> I'm thinking of the studio setup. This is just the study. Yeah, yeah exactly. Hey, um, mate, first question. I asked this of all our, um, our mentors to start with. Why did you choose footy when you were a kid? and did you play any other sports but why was it footy?
0: Yeah uh, I did play other sports I'm one of five kids I'm the middle child and it's definitely a syndrome it's a problem I'm still dealing with it but um, I'm the third boy it was two three boys in a row then two two girls at the end so five of us and uh, after school and weekends and any any spare time in the backyard was was cricket and footy that's how it was back when I was growing up in the northern suburbs of Melbourne and and uh, I would I was pretty competitive, I had a bit of a temper, um, and I would try and beat my brothers. i wanted to be better than my brothers. My oldest brother um, used to punch me up a bit and uh, and dominate he was three or four years older, so he had had the wood on me from a skills perspective, from a physicality perspective athleticism perspective but I, I kept hunting so yeah I, I was just pretty competitive so cricket was with I really loved cricket and I was really good at footy um, yep. and that was that was probably the order i I love the game of cricket because every ball's a battle. doesn't matter if you're fielding, bowling, batting, every ball's a battle. It's just a brilliant game, I reckon. And, and you've got to survive the day to, to be the to be the master of it. Um, so I really enjoyed cricket and I, and I really gave myself a lot of time to play cricket and wanted to be a really good cricketer. But I, I was good at footy. And, and then when you start getting reward um, and some real positivity on the back of being good at something, yes, that's sort of – Helps you you learn the love of it too and you think that maybe, gee whiz, maybe this is, this is something I could do down the track. Now, we all dream of playing in the AFL and I did certainly from, or VFL was back then from a, from a young boy, a Collingwood supporter and we'd go to the Magpies, home games at Vic Park every every home game and um, we'd go on the road for a few games as well a year. So, I'd see 16, 17 games a year um, when I was a Collingwood supporter with my mum and her sisters and a um, couple of kids flying around in the back of the car as well and and it was fantastic and that's where I sort of learned to love footy was by watching footy and going to Collingwood and, and seeing my heroes in action. But yeah, cricket was my my, my real love initially and then uh, footy sort of took over when I worked out I was pretty good at it and um, there might have been something in it for me down the line.
1: Yeah, right. Fantastic. Great uh, great intro. Um, you know, coaches out there always ask us about how to bring fun back to footy. so taking yourself back to being a kid and playing footy, what actually made you happy at that stage? And then when you started playing AFL, what made you happy about playing footy?
0: Footy, um, the freedom footy gave you to to express yourself. Um, And and I had some outstanding um, mentors. uh, They were were my coaches in junior footy, but they weren't really coaching. They were just supporting an environment where you could go and play the game and, and love it. And, and I, I really appreciate, and looking back now, I really appreciate how they did that and what they did. And it wasn't about tactics and strategy and craft and that sort of stuff. It was about play. It was about the game. Um, and, yeah. they, and they gave us the free, because be- I think footy's quite unique. And there's a few other field sports that, that would be similar, I imagine. I didn't play soccer as a kid or that type of thing. But when you've got so much space to cover, I think the, the the way you can express yourself physically and just roam with freedom, even though there are positions, or well, certainly yeah. were back when when I first started, yeah, um, on on the magnet board, uh, I think the the freedom of footy is what I loved and what I really enjoyed. And, and training was yeah, there's some drills and you just kick some goals at the end. You get to kick a few torps and and life was good. It wasn't overly stressful. It was it was essentially play, yeah. And, and I love that about footy that I just got to play and do stuff and touch the footy and get my my mates involved from school we we most of my team was from my primary school so we we'd hang out together in the day and we'd go and kick the footy at night time and then play on the weekends and it was just great to have that that community environment that that environment of your mates being together for in a game and and yeah. the basketball I played basketball as a kid as well but there's you know there's five or six on the team and it's over in 40 minutes and you know, who knows what happens from there. But footy is, is something different. Footy, the, the breadth of, of people you need for footy and the support cast that goes with a footy team, be it juniors or be it seniors, doesn't matter. There's people there to help and, and put that all together. And I, I really enjoyed that environment of, of people. And essentially footy's about people, isn't it? The grand scheme of things. So that was that was what I loved as a kid. When and we got to the AFL, um clearly it gets a bit more serious and they're a bit more structured and and that type of thing. But I was the guy that was always looking for the looking for the cheap gag and and the <laughs> and and I was drawn to those personalities that had a bit of charisma and um and knew that whilst it was a very important thing and it was our jobs that it was pretty fun too and it should be a pretty fun thing to do and sometimes that's easier to, to to live than other times because if you're in a successful team you can sort of roll with that a bit. Yep. If you want to know pods, but if you're in a pretty crap team like we were um, at the Hawks in the, the first couple of years of my career, then uh, it's not a lot of fun because everything's on the line and there's people's careers at stake and coaches under pressure and that type of thing. So it's it's a real was a real balance for me at, at the AFL level because I wanted to be able to have that fun and, and freedom, but there was cons- constraints that sort of kept it under wraps for a little while.
1: Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? And um, we sort of talked earlier offline about um, we'll get to you coaching the Carlton team, but when you got your first win, the, the whole mood just changes and your ability to actually bring your personality out. Yeah. Um, it's it's so different, isn't it? Wins and losses. Um, go back to when you were you know, 18, 19, um, coming in through the ranks of an AFL club. How do you remember learning? Like, How did you learn best as a, as a player? Were you a you know, a visual learner. Did you did you read? Did you watch vision? How was it? Uh, how was it for you?
0: Yeah, I was a I was a doer. Um, I wanted to be yeah. learning on the job, um, and I'm, I'm I'm actually really big on this from a coaching perspective. And and it doesn't suit everyone, but I think um, it suits the majority um, to be able to to learn while you live. Live and learn is how what I call it. Be out there training in scenarios that are something you'll experience uh, on game days, close to a game days. You can replicate at the training session. And I'm 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 really big on that, and particularly women's footy, where they've they're coming from backgrounds where they haven't had you know a decade of footy. Most of these girls haven't started at seven and played all the way through the pathways because there wasn't initially. Um, so they need to live it to learn it. Um, outside of that, there wasn't a lot of video editing going on. we we, we get the, cut, the old VHS cut up yeah. you know, on a probably take until Tuesday by the time they're ready after <laughs> after the weekend. There was one man doing it, cutting 21 tapes or 22 tapes every week, and it took him bloody forever. Um, so the video stuff wasn't as forensic and any, anywhere near as analytical and, and such a good learning resource as it is these days in the way they do it. And behind the goals vision, there's none of that. Yeah. So it was it was more living and learning than than anything else. You, you talk through um, situations with your line coach and Chris Connolly was was awesome for me. I really learned a hell of a lot from Chris Connolly through my time at, at Hawthorne. That he would talk me through how he saw me um, needing to play and and how I best best execute that. But it was more about the scenario stuff, the match practice and you know, playing against Johnny Platt in the midfield and trying to work out how was going to beat him because he's a, a megastar. Like, yep. Those things about trying to find answers to solutions was in in, in almost reality um, was the best way I learned.
1: Do you reckon it's, um, it was magnified in games or, or training? So obviously, one of the things you sort of mentioned there was live and learn. So with living and learning, you're going to make mistakes. Yep. So how do you actually currently embrace your players to make mistakes at training versus in a game? Like what's the what's the sort of feedback that you give them off the back of that
0: yeah well I'll never I'll never um, give anyone a cook if you've tried to do the right thing um, yeah if, if you make a mistake that's cool that's cool. If you make a skill error particularly that's cool we'll try and rectify that we'll try and make you a more complete football with your craft that's our job as coaches that's that's my job um, to try and reinforce and enhance those areas. But if you're trying to do the right thing in terms of system or pattern or structure or whatever it is, and you make a mistake doing that, that's okay. And it's, sometimes it's going to cost us a goal, and sometimes it might even cost us a match. But you won't cop a cook from me because if you're trying to do the right thing, that's all I can ask you to do. Because yeah. we're not perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. I'll make mistakes as a coach. Um, but as long as I'm, I'm focused on what we're trying to get, the outcomes are trying to get – and sometimes I'll make a really good call on the back of that and sometimes I'll make a crap one and there'll be ramifications either way. But I, I want the girls to learn, particularly now, um, coaching women, I want them to learn that they can just do what I-, I want them to do and whatever happens after that is in the lap of the footy gods a bit. They're in control. Yeah. But it's a bit in the lap of the footy gods. So we will rehearse, constantly rehearse what we want to do through those scenarios, through those situations of, of gameplay as much as possible so they get the feeling of what that looks like. It's easy on a whiteboard to put the X's and O's and draw the ang- the the arrows and and move the magnets, but the game's not played on the whiteboards. I've played with magnets and, and arrows. It's it's such a dynamic game that I just think you have to be able to live it um, to really understand what that feels like. And it's a proprioception. It's 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 repetition. It's rehearsal. It's repeat. It's lather, rinse, repeat, mate. It's washing your hair, which you and I don't do much of anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah, mate. That that lesson is a is relevant not just to sport and football, but Life, business, I mean, media, learning through mistakes and actually just getting out in there and doing and, and um, you yeah, know, moving on. But as long as you've got the right behaviours, I suppose, is what you're, what you're saying. So those lessons are um, across all parts of life. Hey, um, clearly we've been going for, you know, 10 minutes or so and you've got a clear passion for football that and coaching. Um, what is it that you love about coaching and, and why is coaching for you?
0: Um, I was one of those guys, I'm not sure how you were when you were playing pods, but I was one of those guys when I was in the team meetings, uh, I was always front left. I had my seat at the front left. It was, it was like the, the bus at the school, you're we all the same seats. Yeah. Um, so I was front left, always. So sometimes you're out of the line on the side of the coach when he's getting really fired up and they sort of look over you, which is good. Um, but I was front left and, I, <laughs> and I, I paid a lot of attention because I love footy and, and I love playing the game of footy and, and I often sit there and think about how I would do things or what I thought about was happening and, and in those days, you weren't really encouraged to get too involved in the conversation. You were coached. It wasn't over a discussion; it was a message coming from the yeah. coach more often than not. So we didn't really get the freedom to to get involved in the conversation. But I always thought about how would I do that, and why is he doing that, and why are we doing this, and is that the best thing for this group? And and all the way through, I thought, well, one day I'm going to have a crack at it myself, um, and and see, and put it all together, and and see if it, it if it does work. See if I can manage a. A team to become better, and and in the end, once once I've got that sort of through, and I've got my chance, it's it's making people better. It's giving people the chance to to achieve something um, that they might not have been able to do without you. That's not to say that you're the be all and end all, but with a coach, obviously, sets up the program and, and forms um, a, a pattern of play, a style of play with a group of people that are coming from all over the shop to do that. Now, that's that takes a lot of effort, and any coach in the room is listening tonight, understand how difficult and how big a challenge that can be. That you've got a, a group of players that sometimes you are from all over the place. Sometimes you've got a little community hub that, that they filter through to, a junior club that filters through, and that's great. But it's about bringing a group of people together with different beliefs, with different uh, abilities, with different passions, with different backgrounds, and putting that into one team every single week and trying to get an outcome for all. Like that's a huge challenge, but how satisfying is it when you're able to pull it off? So letting them experience something really cool and trying to make them better and and, and love the game like, like I got to love it through my time, that's that's why I do it. And and that's why I'll I'll do it for a fair while, I reckon, because there's so the response you get and the feedback you get from players and um, when you get it right, and the the effect and the impact it has on their lives, as silly as it sounds, and it's a game, we all understand that, but the impact impact of being able to help someone succeed in anything. Uh, is unbelievably satisfying. So that's sort of what keeps me going. I think that's quite intoxicating. Mate, fantastic
1: answer. And listening to you talk and you think about coaching over the last you know 30, 40 years, I think um, you know back in the day, the the coach was seen as the expert that had to have all yeah. the answers. It was almost like um, no disrespect to the people that coached you know thirty years ago, but they were like the Messiah, effectively, yeah. weren't they? It was like, come now, I've got it. Whereas now, coaches are you know facilitators and educators and and, and teachers and. And um, need to facilitate the right questions to get the best response from their um, players. Not just tell them where to stand or tell them what to do. It's, it's, it has changed a lot, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, I think the old saying is it takes a village. Um, and whilst the coach is really important, you need that many people on side who are assisting you in that process. It's not funny, and and coaches the ones that get sacked and they get all the praise when things are going well. But it's so much bigger than that, and and that's another challenge and another part of coaching. That is the, the subset of, of the player of, of the player success is achieving a, or having a group of coaches with you that understand how you want to do it. You let them be a part of the conversation. You mold that into something really cool, and then you're all involved in the process of dispersing that information and teaching and coaching. And and, and that's another layer of coaching. I reckon don't get, doesn't get spoken about very much about how you deal with your other coaches and what um, what chemistry and camaraderie you build with them to coach together, um, your group of players. It's ab- absolutely underestimated the importance of that, I reckon.
1: Yeah, the training the trainer model, effectively, that is what yeah. that is. Yeah. Um, you talked about you know, support around you. One thing obviously is close to everyone is family. Uh, I want to talk to you about you know, being a dad. And, um, you know, uh, William and Abby are your two kids, but how is being a dad? We've got a lot of actually dad coaches that are either coaching their under 12s um, girls team or boys team out there tonight listening. Um, how has that helped you in in coaching?
0: Uh, being a father transformed my whole life. Um, I was I was at Carlton 2004 when we had our first child, Abby, who's now close enough to 16, a week or two. Um, and I, very quickly, anyone who's, who's a, who is a parent will understand this. I think that you go from, particularly from a professional sporting perspective, pods like you and I, that you go from being the most important person in the family to being the least. Yeah. Um, and that and that happens really quickly. So my world my world spun uh, when when Abby was born, and and it was the July of two thousand and four. It was my year at Carlton, um, and and my whole world changed. My whole perspective on what was important changed. And I was twenty seven when that happened. Um, and then I, was, I saw out the year, and I had another year to go on my contract. And I got through the preseason, and, and the, sorry, the off season, and was getting ready to get back for preseason. So I decided to go for a run a couple of weeks beforehand, and. Um, and I stopped about 500 meters in and I just turned around and walked home and I said, I, I said to Beck, she, oh, she looked at me she goes, that was quick. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I sat down on the couch and I said to her, I don't want to do this anymore. I, it doesn't mean what it did to me anymore. It's my, my whole world had spun. The axis had changed angle and um, it wasn't what I wanted to do. It became a business and it wasn't the fun and the game that I'd, I'd loved as I spoke about before and I, I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, so her impact on me was was quite profound and <laughs> it's been interesting because I didn't have anything to go to at the time. so <laughs> it was a decision. but um I just i didn't I didn't love playing anymore. It wasn't the game that i, I grew up loving playing, so I, I I said to Beck, I'm out. um so that 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 certainly affected my life. but then the coaching, how it affected my coaching i was I did this a couple of years ago with Ab she was doing um her in maths homework in year seven, I think it might have been. And and maths was my thing at school. I was a good mathematician. I like numbers. Hello. Uh, <laughs> well, coaches are nerds in some degree. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I like numbers and, and she was asking for some help. And I'm sitting there with her at the table and and she couldn't get, it was a bit, just a bit of basic algebra stuff, which, you know, every you should know if you're an adult. So I had that covered. Um, so I'm sitting there explaining. This is how you get to the answer. You know, multiply the factors, and all that sort of stuff, and you get to your get to your answer. And she sat there and she couldn't get it. And I started getting really frustrated because I knew it. And I, I knew that I knew it, and I was I was trying to get the message out to her that you know can't you see? Can't you see that this is how we do it? Just that that and that equals this. And she couldn't get it, and she was getting really upset. And I was getting more up more frustrated the more upset she was getting. And bloody hell! How easy is it? Shit. Um, and I, I stopped before we sort of got into a bit of a punch. On, I, I stopped myself and I thought, hang on a second. Just because you know, it doesn't mean that she knows. So that was a really important conversation just with myself and my coaching because that really um, changed the way I delivered messages to to players. Because it wasn't about what I knew. It was about what they knew. And if they didn't know, it wasn't on them. It wasn't on me to get frustrated with them. It was on me to coach them and take them through it step by step and add the layers as we needed to go to get to the outcome we needed to get to. So a little bit of year seven algebra um, transformed my whole coaching philosophy and how to, to deal with players that um, – because you get these really intelligent players who understand everything you're saying. And then you've got the, the other extreme, of course, is the players who really struggle with that sort of stuff and have no idea what you're saying. So you've got to paint the picture very differently. So that little exercise with my U7 algebra um, made me very clear about my, um, my behavior and my method of transfer of information to my players from, from that day forward. And I think I've been a much better coach since that U7 algebra class.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, um, we know that, uh, that one, you know, this, the AFL have got six core coaching competencies. And one of them is actually the ability to learn and reflect as a coach. So it's not obviously just on game day or training. You've actually done it in your normal life and your kid's <laughs> life. That has actually allowed you to and reflect in that scenario, which has actually been uh, implemented your coaching. So that's a mate, great story. Hey, um, we'll get into your uh, your part-time, you know, pseudo-part-time coaching. You no, know, there's no such thing as part-time coaching. But how do you, uh, at the moment, um, you know, handle your your work-life balance, coaching balance, you yeah. know, and family, um. Currently, I suppose this environment is probably a little bit different, but, you know, think back to when you're training at Carlton on a rainy Wednesday night.
0: Yeah, well, I I think the the most demanding time in in my life um, was coaching local footy. Yeah. Where, like, it's it's an 11-month job, basically, um, minimum. And you're working three or four days nights a week, uh, plus all the meetings and all the um, phone calls and all that sort of stuff, plus trying to have your job and plus trying to look after your family. So that period between twenty sort of 12 um, when the kids were sort of seven and four to to 2016, that was a really really challenging period because I wasn't home a lot. I was working during the days. Uh, you know, you're training you know, coaching all night, you're not getting home till now, nine, ten, who knows, selection nights a bit later. Every Thursday night's always later because the dinner with the with the club always happens yep. like that. Uh, let alone you're watching the videos and you're trying you're cutting your tape for Monday review and all sort of stuff. So that was a really and then I was working weekends covering AFL game broadcasting, AFL games. So I wasn't home and I was traveling to state through that a fair bit as well. So that was a really challenging period. But what you need is, well, what I had and what I needed was an understanding wife and Beck. Um, certainly knew that coaching was one of the things that, that I needed to do for me. And she she would say that often, I know you need to do this for you. If you didn't have something like this, that you you drive us all bananas anyway. So you might as well go and, go and do it's that upside. and be a part of it. And and I had such support. So you need support for, from your, the people around you. And the kids were great. And they would come along and I would take them to training when I could and they'd be there match day and um, you know they'd blow the whistle at training and they'd move some magnets and draw some stuff on the whiteboard for me the training and I got them involved in the club life, which was great. And I think it's really important for kids to to see club life, whatever that is—hockey, tennis, football, basketball, whatever it is—to be a part of a bigger um, community and understand what that looks like. That's really important. So I had great support, um, and I, it, sometimes, mate, when you just got lots on, you just make things work. It's it's like the old saying: give want something done properly, give it to someone who's busy because I'll, I'll work out how to how to make it work." And I was one of those guys that. The more you threw at me, I, I didn't necessarily love it all the time, but we just made it work. And because I did love the coaching component, um, it was certainly a labor of love. Yeah, you
1: just going to execution mode when you've got lots on. That's what you've yeah, you got
0: no choice. Yeah,
1: what you do. So I'll use coaching part time in inverted commas, but it's obviously a challenge whether you're coaching at Ballwin or coaching the Carlton AFLW team. Um, I'm trying to think. You know, I haven't been in this position, but how do you actually go fast when it, when it when it comes to you know building a game plan, educating players, but slow at the same time? And you sort of mentioned it a little bit earlier. One of the other core competencies of coaching is being able to build relationships. Now that is so tough to do when you're a part time coach. Yeah, you sort of um, talking about how you've navigated that, whether it's at Baldwin or when now it's at AFLW, and, and and how you do that.
0: Yeah, well, at locals footy, um, the, the relationship part is is really challenging because. So same, I suppose, with the girls a bit, but because everyone's working or at the uni, um, and you're working, and and I'm really lucky now that I work in the morning, so I've got basically the rest of the day off if I if I want to, if I'm not snoozing, or walk in the dogs. Um, so I, it's a bit more a bit easy for me now. But back when I was working through the middle of the days and the family life and all that sort of stuff, it's the relationship part's really hard. So so it's about maximising the time you get with with your group. You might be able to catch up with a coffee every now and then with a couple of players a week, but even that would be challenging um, in, in this current environment. But so it's about maximising that that five, three, three to five minute chat you get um, while the boys are warming up, or in the change rooms, or or post training, or in between a drill when you go around the back of the group and and just have a chat to someone. That's I think those conversations are, from a local footy perspective, are the most important ones you can have. To just touch base and say good day, because uh, sometimes players, particularly if you're at a big club, and whilst at St Kevin's we had four, t- five teams, um, not that I was coaching all of them, but they're all there out there in the park at one stage. They all want to hear from the senior coach. Doesn't matter how, what level they play, everyone wants to hear from the senior coach. Uh, assistant coaches are fine. They're fantastic. Reserve coaches are great. Thirds coaches are awesome. But everyone wants to hear from the senior coach. So it's just, it's little touch points. And it's, it's understanding that that's what they want. And that comes with experience. I didn't know that at the start when I was a ball When I was just, I was a bit like you were saying before, that uh, the guy up the front with the whistle and, and this is how we do things and just follow the arrows. Um, that's, I've certainly evolved a lot since, since those days. So relationships are a huge part of, of coaching. I'm managing any team. But when you've got such limited time where you've got to execute a, a, a template of, of drills and, and a system of, of planes try to educate, those little conversations, two, three minutes it might be, they're really important. You've got to nail them and, and, and let them know that you love them and, or, or think that you love them. You might not necessarily love, love all of them, but they've got to know, think that you love them. And that's a, a great art in itself. So that's a real challenge, the relationship perspective. And then you've got to build a plan. Then you've got to teach the whole system to the whole group. Um, so I was very clear, and this started to come through my time at St Kevin's, that I had a, a vision, and an end goal, but we were very, very clear that we weren't going to start there. And the same thing at Carlton. We had a vision of what I, what I wanted to look like, but we were starting absolutely at the fundamentals. We're going all the way back and building our, our platform from a really strong foundation. And, and that seemed to be really well appreciated. And once you've got your lab, yeah, those foundations built, you can throw the layers really quick, but it's that foundation that builds the whole thing. And I think some coaches get too excited about uh, game plans and structures and tactics and that sort of stuff, when I think, if you can pick the thing up, we're half a chance. We're half a chance. And this was what I did with the Carlton girls the first year. Um, they'd had a, a rough couple of years. Um, and and it was about, and I could have come in and said, we've got this really sexy game plan. I'm going to do this from the start. But I stripped it right back and said, we know what we're doing from the start. We're building all the way down the bottom, and we're going to build up from there. And it's fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals. We've spent about four weeks doing ground balls. Because um, if you can't pick it up where the ball is most of the game, you're not much good to anyone. So let's start there and let's build from there. And, and that's what it was. It was really a really solid foundation and, and adding layers. Some coaches get that opportunity, get that, get that chance through time in the system. Some coaches don't. They've they moved on or they have other things they have to leave the job for. But if you've got some time, oh, I still think that's the best way to do it. Yeah. Um,
1: I'll just touch on, I think, for what it's worth, mate, and yeah, you're the expert here, I'm just the guy that's uh, interviewing Give me you. The but <laughs> but i think i reckon right now there's probably a, a bit of an unrealistic expectation on coaches to continue to build relationships i think it's an easy thing to say and you sort of hate seeing in the media at, at afl level you know a coach sort of goes by the wayside whether it's an assistant coach or whatever oh he failed to build relationships she failed to build relationships whereas relationships as we know are a two-way street so there's this education that needs to go on with players and coach that you know it's not up to the coach to get around so in your case it. You know, um, you know, ball or wherever you were before, though after that, um, that it's 50 players you can get to. You can't get to 50 players. Players might need to come to you. So, yeah. there's a there's a bit of an expectation. There's probably an education that coaches need to do, and educating your you know, your players around you know building relationships is on you as well. It's not just yeah. on. Coaches
0: and and we would have those conversations. And I would have those conversations with with whichever teams I've been coaching because I reckon that's a really important point. That you know they know and because they know it too. They know I can't get to fifty or eighty or are yeah. on the list. Absolutely, and they know that. Um, so if they need something or they're lacking something, it is on them a bit. I mean, it's their essentially, it's their career, isn't it? I'm just the one that's sort of navigating the overall picture or well, the coach is the one navigating the overall picture, but it's their career, it's their time in the game that they want to, they should be trying to get the most out of. If they really love it and they're doing it because they love it more often than not at local footy level, local sport level, um, it's it's their time in the game. So they they do need to understand that. They do need to understand that, that they've, they've got an opportunity and they just need to pull you aside for, for a minute or two every now and then and say, well, hang on how come this is happening or why do you you think I'm sort of sitting here at the moment or how do I get better or whatever those conversations might be, it is on them, no doubt about that. No doubt.
1: Thanks for listening and we hope you're enjoying this episode of Max Mentors. We'll be right back after this short message from our partner.
0: Grab your team and come and train together in our indoor 5,500-metre square venue at AFL Max. Have fun and even share a meal together, a great way to celebrate the season. Inquire now at aflmax.com.au.
1: You mentioned fundamentals. Uh, What a great word, by the way. Um, (laughs) You mentioned mentioned it multiple times, which is even better. um, Take me back to um, Ballin or or St Kevin's. What what does teaching fundamentals look like at that level?
0: Yeah, well, it's about uh, fundamentals for me is is the basic skills and then the basic um, offensive and defensive patterns. That's that's fundamentals for me. Yeah. Uh, how, How to spoil properly? How to get the ball to spin probably when you're kicking it to a teammate. How to put it to their advantage. How to pick the ball up. The, the, the biomechanics, the tech, the techniques involved in picking it up off the ground. Put your fingers down to the bottom. Bend your knees. Keep your your back, buddy, um, straight. All that sort of stuff. Like really basic Oz kick sort of stuff. Right. It's it's that. It's just there's more pressure on. There's bigger bodies. It's coming at you a bit faster. You have to execute a bit quicker. So then it becomes a decision-making situation. But if you can't get the fundamentals biomechanically or technically for the basic skills of the game, then you are no chance of having any success as a team. If your squad members can't do those things, you're no chance. I don't care what level of coach you are and what grade it is. If you can't teach them the really simple things things and components of the game, you're no chance. And that's fine. If if that's what you've got and you know that, then your definition of success is different to, to, to somebody else's. And that's a really important part of coaching too, understanding what success looks like to you and, and for yep. your group because it's not going to be the same for every team. Not, not every team is capable of, of finishing in finals or, or winning a premiership. Some teams might be looking to win a, a half a footy uh, every, single, every weekend. Some might be looking to just win three games a year. And how do we do that? And you break that down. So success, the definition of success is really important. But back to your question yep. about the fundamentals, so it's, it's the really basic building blocks of the game. And, and rehearsing that so understanding, okay, I've got this group and just do your basic drills that everyone would understand and, and know and watching, watching a group and seeing how someone drops the ball into their foot and, and, and working out if that can be fixed because sometimes it can't be fixed. Uh, to any great degree anyway, and how natural that is, how they how they jump at the footy, do they run under the ball all the time, can they read it, do they need glasses, all that. Like these are the things that you go through and you work out. I've got two people set to glasses. I've worked out two people couldn't see. Yeah, wow. Because they run under the ball, they just couldn't find the ball, they run under it. We end up getting their eyes checked, they need a bloody glass and no wonder they couldn't see.
1: <laughs> Fundamentals 101. Yeah, see the thing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a really simple building blocks of the game and, and it's, there's nothing scientific about it, but it's, it's assessing groups um, because you want to get, try and get through as many, if you're a local club, get through as many as you can to understand what they can and can't do at any given time. So it's getting eight to ten at a time doing one thing and, and, and letting the others do another drill while that's happening and then flipping it around and working out what you've got. That's the, the key thing, I think, when you first take a job as a coach any level, understand what you've got because then you can build around that.
1: Yeah. Hey, um, let's talk about Carlton AFLW. Mate, um, you know, you took them from bottom of the ladder to a grand final in your first year. So I know part of the answer to this question would be fundamentals because that's <laughs> all you would have um, <laughs> focused on. But when you actually got the reins, um, what helped you achieve that, you know, I suppose massive spike in, in success and improvement? And, and I'd love to sort of delve down in how did you shape the environment um, rather than just the fundamentals? Of, well, how did you shape the environment to get these girls to believe they could actually achieve uh, a grand final appearance?
0: Yeah, well, good question. Um, there's a lot of layers to that one. So as I mentioned before, it had been a pretty tough couple of years. Uh, and I think um, what they needed with a new coach, whoever that was, ended up being me. What they needed was for someone to come in and believe that they were good enough. Yeah, And, and that's... Uh, and. The art of coaching, I suppose, is getting people to believe that they can. Um, and that was one thing I was really strong on. It's one of the reasons I took the job because I quite liked the list. I, I didn't want to take a, a team at the bottom of the ladder just for the sake of a team at the bottom of the ladder to see what you could do. But there's a bit of talent on the list. So I just thought, again, back to that conversation before, that after watching a few games, how would I work with this group differently? And and I did, I did believe that they had some talent and I did believe that something could be achieved. Now, I didn't ever... For the life of me, thought it was going to be a grand final appearance, and we were the beneficiaries of a of a conference system, um, and we got a few things going away, that from that perspective. But we were the best team in that conference by by a margin, so we we got to that point. But it was about it was about belief um, that they could. It's, and I'll I'll never forget the the day that things changed, and you alluded to it before we got beaten in the first game. A really positive. Build-up pre-season, we saw great development um, from this, from skills, but also fitness levels and just confidence in, in themselves individuals. We clearly did a chance to play too often through that, that pre-season, just the way the AFLW set up. So we went down to Hobart for the first game of the year, um, and we played North Melbourne, who were the new team uh, at that stage in the competition with all these megastars from other clubs, and, and I thought we'd go all right. And uh, we got absolutely mauled. Uh, by by the Kangas down there, and it was a real eye opener for me, but also for the girls. But, but what it does do is just it sets your level, it sets your expectations for for that particular moment in time and and moving forward. You know where you are, then you can can work from there. I reckon if you start to just brush that off or believe other things other than the reality, so you've got to be really realistic as a coach. Uh, the, if you don't believe the reality, you won't you can't achieve because you'll be stuck in a, in an area that actually doesn't exist. So we worked out that okay this is what happened and we broke it down as to why but we didn't lose too much faith out of it we just lost the game we just weren't good enough at that, that given time so our messaging at the time came back to the environment um, part of the question we had Shannon McFerrin who was a women's footy legend um, she's a 10 time VWFL best and fairest five time all Australian like just medals coming out of her ear holes um, and she was my assistant coach at Collingwood when I was an assistant so she was my assistant at Collingwood So she was the first person I called in. So I wanted to have a really good credentialed um, female coach to be a part of the the crew. She was there. Stephen Salopek, who you'll know through, many people know through his time at Port Adelaide, was a pick six. I coached him at St. Kevin's. I knew he knew what the game I wanted to coach. So I I ripped him out uh, of there and got him to coach. And then I got Brad Fisher, who um, many people don't remember from his days at the Blues, 99 games with the Blues, couldn't quite get into 100 the big fish lips and I played with him in 2004. I wanted a Carlton flavor as well. So there's a bit of science behind the building of the the team Uh, and fish is one of the great personalities in the world. So that helps. Um, And then our our back office staff of of our high performance um, manager, Josh Milner, who's was working the Eastern Rangers, the under 18s. I met him and instantly fell in love with him. Um, and, And the way he talked about conditioning and athletes and, footballers as opposed to female footballers and all this lingo we use, I just thought this is our guy. He's turned out to be an absolute jet. And then now the physio was there since day one. Riley, she's a she's a magician. Um, so we had a really good template of, of of senior staff at the at the footy club and really good people who just really wanted this program to be the best it could be. So we lost that first game, getting back to that, talking on a bit, sorry. Um, <laughs> we lost that first game and then we, we played the home game against Adelaide. And we we were on fire um, and we the first three quarters, we were really good, played a really strong game at Icon Park, missed a couple of chances late, should have kicked another two goals in the third quarter, should have been uh, three goals up, I think we might have been one goal up. And then with 10 minutes to go, we're still 10 points up and we get overrun and beaten by another 10 points or whatever it was. But we showed that we could, we were better than the week before. And it wasn't necessarily, going back to my definition of success and what it looks like for your team, our success wasn't necessarily being the best at that time. Our, our method and our, our message for the team for the year was to be better. Yep. And that, that takes a lot of pressure off being the best. You don't have to be, when you come from the bottom, you don't expect to be the best anyway. But our message was to be better. So we showed from week one to week two that we were better. And then we went up to GWS, um, Bankstown. Bankstown is that what it's called? Yeah, Bankstown. Yeah. Um, to, to play the Giants in round three. And we just needed a kill. You could just feel, even though we're trying to keep it positive and the energy up and just, we're better than last week and we're better than the week before, you could still feel the start of the of the real um, withdrawal of some of the players because they had not won for a game of footy for over a year. And that starts to eat at you after a while. And it was only seven games, but it was over a year. So we just needed a kill. Um, so we are able to build a, a really specific plan for that day for the Giants. That I thought we could, we could manipulate them a bit and beat them on a almost system as above anything else. So we we put that in place and we trained that through the week and they got a bit of confidence out of that because they they started to believe because we painted the picture of why we're doing this and then we trained it and they saw the benefits of that that they went up in the state and, and had real confidence and we and we smacked them we beat them by five goals and we never had it was a really polished performance and I used the um the analogy Michael I'm not sure if you heard this story Michael Voss. Used at the Brisbane Lions about running to the roar, um, and it's a, it's a really good analogy for for facing your fears. It's if the the antelope in the in the in the wild in the Serengeti, you got the lions coming at you. What the lions do is they'll they'll send the the old decrepit lions out the front face on, and they'll start roaring at you, and they'll flank you with all the young young lions who are gonna who are going to get you, if you're the impala or the or whoever you're going to be, it's going to get eaten. So what most of the impala do is they flee sideways or, or backwards from where the roars coming from because uh, they're, they're afraid of that. They don't want get, to get eaten. Nobody wants to get eaten. It's a bad thing. So they run run away, but they fall into the trap because all the other lines, they, they've been flanked and they get eaten, they are killed and it's all over. So the challenge is to run to the rule, run to the where the noise is coming from, face that fear and yeah. see what you can achieve. And I love that. And they'd never heard that story. And I used it as our real um, pregame speech and they fell in love with it and they they kept referencing it through the game, run to the rule, run to the rule. And once you get your players chanting things that you've said in a pregame, you know you're home. Oh, yeah, you are You dumb. know you're home. <laughs> so I've got them to believe that, that they can run to the roar and tackle their fears and come out and be triumphant. And and they got the reward for effort. And from that moment on, and we talked about it in the Monday Night Review, um, at the end of it, I said, how hey, you feeling? I sat very casually in front of the group and said, how hey, you feeling? And all of them just said, oh, it's so bloody relieved. Yeah. Because there was that much pressure on them. It's a, look, it's a short season, which is pressure enough. Hadn't won a game for over a year, and they just wanted to experience what that feeling felt like again. And, and, and that, was the, that was the turning point of the whole game. And then there was a real energy for the whole season. And we lost a game we shouldn't have the next week, and then we won all the other games leading into the finals. And, and, and we had a really positive year until the grand final. We played 12 minutes of really bad footy Adelaide six, and Adelaide kicked six. It was all over.
1: Yeah, yeah, tough uh, with fifty thousand. Wasn't it one of the yeah. most highest attended female sports in Australia at the time, which is um, fantastic. And that's where footy's headed. Um, so those local coaches or community coaches out there, I mean, base the fear head on is what you're sort of saying, and, yeah. and potentially ask for a uh, friendly fixture from um, the governing body. <laughs> get, a, get an easy get an easy kill in round one or two. <laughs> it's always
0: helpful. Early wins, mate. Doesn't matter
1: where they yeah, are. They win. Early
0: wins yeah. are important.
1: We've got a uh, we've got a cheeky uh cheeky question here in the chat, mate. Um, when AFL when Hawthorne's AFLW get a team, are you gonna jump ship? <laughs> <laughs> oh, to got,
0: that, mate, no. Got, well no, I will answer it because I well Beck Goddard is coaching their VFLW team. Oh uh, shit, great this year. So although there's no VFLW, unfortunately, with the whole uh, COVID situation, yeah. which is a bit of a shame, there's a summer, oh, sorry, a, a super series, a spring series of three games, but you can check more details out on the website. Um, so, Beck is a premiership coach, obviously, with Adelaide in the first year of yeah. AFLW. So, I'm not sure she's going to be too easy to get rid of, uh, even no, if, no. That was, if that was to be part of the plan. Yeah, exactly. Hey, um, speaking about
1: uh, AFLW, can you, you've coached um, men, you're coaching um, you know, your kids as well, and you coached women or you're coaching women. What's the key differences in, in coaching men and women in your sort of experience?
0: Um, I think with the AFLW, I, I don't know how this would be at at junior level if you're coaching young girls, um, because a lot of young girls have been playing now since they were seven or eight, and they and they're footballers um, who just happen to be girls, not girl footballers. And I think there's a real big difference with that. And this is the this is the thing we're seeing with the AFLW at the moment. Like Maddie Prasparkas, who won the league medal this year, has yep. been playing footy since she was six. She's not a women's a female footballer. She's a footballer who cool. just happens to be female. Yeah. And, there, and there's a really big difference in that. So one of the challenges I I've, I've faced uh, at Collingwood, because it was my first time dealing with with female footballers, was that they just don't have the breadth of knowledge or or the the years of training. It's just a, it's it's a really different game to coaching boys or slash men uh, who have been playing since they were six and seven years of age, living Well, going back to the thing we talked about earlier, pods about living to learn, um, learning to live, and living to learn. The more you play, the better you'll be. But a lot of these players in the AFLW in the first couple of years, they played three, four, maybe five years max, maybe. Yeah. Um, so they, their, their understanding of the game, let alone what it looked like at a, at a really high-intensity level at this national level, was totally fine to them. So you really had to keep things really simple. And I think one of the issues in the first year of AFLW, just watching it from afar, wasn't involved, was that it was were, the clubs were trying to make it like men's footy. And it wasn't because no. the men are more developed, they've had more years in the system, and they had resource coaching, they've had pathways, all that stuff that didn't exist at the start of the AFLW. Um, you, you can't coach that system with that group, that playing cohort, because they didn't understand what you're talking about in the first place. So my the challenge of coaching women for me is knowing what they've learned and what they've been through and understanding their time in the game uh, because if there's been... You know, uh, one of the dads coaching, which we love, and we love mums and dads getting involved in coaching kids' sport, and I think it's fantastic, and even adult sport, um, get involved. But if there's not a lot of expertise or there's no pathway coaching or there's no development phase, you're coming in with the really raw product. And, and if you want to try and play an elite brand of, of football or make them elite athletes after being so raw for so long, then you've got no chance. You're playing the wrong game. You're involved um, in the wrong system. So the challenge about coaching girls was to understand their level. And and build them from where they were. Um, the other thing is they they love because they haven't had that investment of time and resources. Feedback they just ache for feedback. Now I know um, right. when I was coaching local footy for for men and boys. Um, yeah, I never coached boys, but men. Um, that they yeah feedback was important and they they sort of needed it every now and then. But the girls because it's all new and because they've been given all this opportunity that they've never had but they've always desired. They're at you for info. Just give me what you got. And I don't care what it is and I'll, I'll think it's mundane and boring and it's useless, but they'll all eat it up and they'll love it. Um, so it's the understanding that the desire for learning and the, the thirst for learning is much more is much more significant in, in my time in women's footy than I ever was at local men's footy because they just never had that opportunity. They didn't have the, part, the, the system or the resources. There was no assistant coaches at the local clubs. There was no high-performance coaches. There was no staff or general manager operations. There was none of that going on. So one of the best parts for me in this role in the AFLW is unlike a lot of local clubs where you are you play you wear a lot of hats and play many roles, I just get to coach. So I, I just get that time one on one to coach them, or from a group with a from a senior coaching perspective. I I don't have to worry about the, the jumpers and the bibs and the footies and the who's cleaning the boots and all that stuff. I don't have to worry about. It. I just get to coach. So that's that's one of the big differences. Um, and then there's the element of of I think whilst I'm a very um, tactile person i'm a really physical person i like to hug and high five and get you in and get you tight be a, a man or a woman I, they seem to be more uh, forthcoming with the physical emotion than the men are and and yeah. you being ready for that's really important if you're going to coach women as well and, and i i've said to a lot of people people often ask me how do you how do you do that you're a man in a, in a woman's world how, how does that work and i said well it's no different to to your kids, or your wife, or your friends who happen to be female, just treat them like people, and they will respond accordingly. Yeah, um, yeah, they're, yeah. They're footballers; you've got to coach them as footballers, but treat them like people, and you'll you'll be amazed at the response you get. And if they want to get come in and give you a hug, give them a hug for God's sake, and don't be don't be afraid of that. If it's a, you're coming from a good place, and you're, you you in my job, um, you've got to you've got to love them real quick, and you've got they know they that they need to be loved. And I do love them. I fall in love real quick with the, with the groups of girls that I've coached. It's,
1: that's great.
0: And, and I, I love that part of what women's footy done for me. But I, I was a, a physical coach with with the boys as well. I often just come up and give them a hug and give them a wrap and tap them on the bum and, and that sort of stuff. I'm not afraid to do that. Some people, it's not their thing, and I get that, and that's cool. Um, but I think women's footballers, they, from my experience, anyone in three years, they really appreciate the fact that you can and, and and you're there for them if that's their thing as well. That's great advice, mate,
1: and thanks for answering that question with um, complete transparency and honesty. But it, it, oh, looking at AFLW from the outside, and I'm fortunate I'm friends with a couple of AFLW players as well, but they just look so hungry and so motivated to to be better. You mentioned just about being better. It's yep. it's, it's, it's fantastic. Obviously, they're in the infinite stages of their um, the elite competition and, and their journey as footballers, but how do you sort of harness that um, high level of motivation?
0: Yeah, well, that's. I think when you've got that in any group you've coached, you're a long way down the track of being able to to achieve and and make yeah. a difference in their world. Um, so yeah, and that's that's quite difficult because when you've got thirty of them in the groups that we've dealt with in the AFLW, who are also um, so intent on on being best, it can be, become quite intense and quite overwhelming from a coaching perspective. And we've got four coaches plus a development coach, and um, and and trying to divvy them up to To get the most, to get each coach to get the most out of the players, of the players to get the most out of each coach is quite can be quite overwhelming because again you're still dealing with that limited time frame after work hours. Um, but everyone needs that love. Everyone needs that 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 one on one assistance because they have that thirst, they have that desire and drive to be be the best. So it's almost a um, tick in a box exercise. You have a list. On, I have a list on my whiteboard. Who have I got to this week about? about their, their skills and who have I got to about their life and, and yeah. kicking them off and, and going through and making sure you and you just got to get there. In my role, I can, I can do it. Local footage is a bit harder, as we talked about before. But in my role, with a little bit more time up my sleeve during the days, I can catch up for a coffee or I can talk about, uh, get them 10 minutes before training or half an hour before training and just do 10 minutes here and there. And, and it's, it's about, yeah, the way of satisfying it is, is touch, having those touch points consistently um, is, is the answer, I reckon, to the question bit easier in these sort of more sort of semi full-time permanent part-time yeah. roles um, than local sport I understand that but it's when you've got that level of drive you've got to feed it because if it if it starts to dissipate then it can start to once one goes then the second one goes and all of a sudden you've got a group of players that are starting to lose that edge which which makes the competition which makes the environment so healthy and so so competitive
1: yeah I mean you're halfway there when you've got motivated players walking in the in the Absolutely. door every training session so mate Absolutely. great answer Hey, um, we're getting towards the end. We've only got about um, five or so minutes to go, so I just want to answer some of these questions from uh, from the coaches out there that have typed in the group. Yeah, uh, a good one here from um, from Kieran. Yeah, he's a novice coach, coaching his second year. Uh, it's a uh, under fourteen uh, under fourteen mixed team. Um, how does a novice coach accelerate their learning? Is the question?
0: Yeah, well, I think there's some some great resources um, online these days. Coaching courses are really good, um, and even little updates mentors. Especially- mentors, yeah, i would be all over them, mentors and coaches and onlines and all those programs you can do. Throw yourself into learning um, about the game, absolutely. If you had no – well, he got no AFL background, I see, Kieran, yeah. but you might have some footy background. Understand what you know first. What you know is really important because yeah. then once you know what you know, you work out what you don't know, and then you can start to shape yourself as a coach and, and work out what you think you might need to learn. Um, and they don't necessarily know everything. But understand what you know is really important and then work out what you think you might need to know and and really drill drill down into your resources. And there's some outstanding resources out there for coaches to to get involved in uh, and and to use. So give yourself a chance, an hour a week, if you can squeeze an hour a week into um, a bit of development with with all that stuff, then it's it's an hour well spent, I reckon. Um, And the other thing is, know you don't need to know everything. Um, yeah, you're not the expert. You don't need to be everything to everything. Just do what you do really well, and then you'll be able to work around it on the edges. Great advice. Hey, um, what's
1: uh, one from Matt here? What's uh, one lesson you've learned from one of the coaches that you that actually coach you that's still with you now?
0: Oh, for the coaches who's still with me. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, so, so I'll talk about Shannon. Um, Shannon. I mean,
1: sorry, one of the coaches that coached you. What's oh, a lesson that, yeah. What's a lesson that you've got in the memory bank?
0: Oh, I think, well, Chris Connolly was um, the one I mentioned before and he was the assistant at Hawthorne when I was there for basically the majority of my time there. Um, and one of the lessons was <laughs> he, he'd pull you into to his office. He, he, somehow he had the best office. I don't know how that worked. <laughs> he had the best office and he'd pull you in and he, he would, week in, week out, he'd say, what do you think about the way I coached? And I, like, weekend, I knew what was coming, but I, I very rarely had a decent answer for him because I wasn't worried about him. He was worried about me I had my head on my backside. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you think about the way I coached? And I thought, once you, you know, 10, 15 years down the track, 20 years down the track now, you start to think that that's a really good question to ask yourself after after a game. How did you learn to reflect? Yep. Yeah. And, and that's what you're talking about before. And that was a real good lesson for me in my coaching. Um, career at the start. I didn't do it at the start. It was a good lesson I should have done. And then I remembered it and it made me a hell of a lot better coach to understand what I did well and, and what I didn't do so well. So reflection, yeah, what 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 did you do? And then ask your players, how did I coach on the
1: weekend?
0: Yeah, uh, great. What feedback you get? Sometimes um, it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. Be careful. Some, well, sometimes it's true. Uh, well, most of the time it's most true. Most of the time it's true.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, as long as it's not an opinion, that's the main thing. It's, as long as it's constructive <laughs> feedback. <laughs> um, a couple of questions here before we go. I've got, a, I've got a quick six questions here, mate, before we finish up, but some good questions here. Um, yeah. One from Mark here about coaching under 13 girls. What's the best piece of advice um, you can give that will um, that you learned from coaching girls so far? So you sort of mentioned it, but.
0: Yeah, well, I, kids, I, I'm coaching under 13, I'm assistant coaching under 13s at my son's team as well. So I'm dealing with that bracket <laughs> of boys um, at the moment. So let them, make them love the game make it make it a really positive, enjoyable environment because you will be amazed right. at, at the benefit you get from uh, from someone who's really positive about being where, where they are and going to training because they'll focus and then you'll get a captive audience that you can really mould the way you need to mould them. Outside of that, it's, it's fundamentals. Get it right, but make it fun and let them love the game. If they don't love the game, then they won't come back and yep. they'll never get better.
1: Coaching at, uh, at breaks, quarter time, half time, three-quarter time, how much information do you give plays
0: great question great question um not much <laughs> i think we get six or seven minutes and by the time the assistant coaches have got them i get about 90 seconds i reckon <laughs> so what i do at the breaks is if there's something happening either positively or negatively sometimes both I'll identify that whether whatever that is and then a quick reason why but then you have got to start to move forward really quick if you spend all your break time reflecting They'll sit, the players will sit there and go, well, hang on. Well, that's, that's fantastic, but it's actually no good to was going forward now. So you've got to have an answer or, or a, a um, uh, something going forward for them to hang on to for the next period, for that next quarter of footy. So reflect really shortly and understand why things are happening and get them to understand why things have happened, positively or negatively, and then give them a reason to make sure that they know why the next thing will happen positively in the next quarter, next period of game, I reckon. Yeah. So it probably needs to be 90 seconds, two minutes. It doesn't need to go on too long. Players don't yep. listen to anyway.
1: <laughs> hey uh, last question from uh, from the group here, and this was one that was sent to us during the week and i think it's a good one and relevant to what you're sort of talking about with juniors but also interested to hear your thoughts on around coaching aflw players and that's um you know coaching tackle technique so you know what's the best piece of advice you've got for juniors but also you know in your time and you've got a lot of aflw players that have played volleyball or soccer yeah. um pre, pre-picking up a full contact sport like afl what's some advice you've got for our coaches there?
0: I think tackling, um, the most important part of tackling is your feet. And while it sounds stupid, but if you're at a position, when you're tackling, you're going to put yourself in a really vulnerable spot a lot of times. So we do a lot of work on our, our, our feet, really uh, strong feet position, of support. And then it's obviously getting low and getting your head to the side, making sure you're not getting your head front on. So it's techniques really important, but I, I, we focus a lot on feet, uh, footwork, getting into tackling, getting into the right spot initially. And then you can start to shape how they, how they react from the upper body. Um, clearly, we had some issues in the game, in the competition, the first couple of years of players just ran yep. run on. And and junior footy, there's a lot of that happens as well, and I've seen it week in, week out with my son's team. So Ed, that is absolutely on us as coaches to get right. So I would focus initially on footwork, and then you start to, to shape the body um, depending on which angle the tackle is coming from or you are tackling on. But I, I think footwork is a massively underrated part of, of tackling. In terms of a junior perspective, get them in the right spot before they tackle
1: Great, great advice. I hey, um, last thing, mate. Quick six. I do this with all our uh, coaching mentors that come on. I've got six quick questions for you. Um, take as long as you want to answer them. But uh, first one, give us one book you can recommend our coaches to, to read right now.
0: Oh, it's um, I knew I, I knew this was coming. This question. I can't remember the bloody name of the book. I had it here. It's it's about Barcelona uh, FC. Um, it's called The Barcelona Way. There you go. The Barcelona Oh, there you Way. go.
1: Yeah, I have heard of that. Thanks, yeah. mate. Nice Read it. It's, a
0: ri- it's absolutely magnificent.
1: Second question, one short YouTube or TED Talk clip that um, you can recommend our coaches to listen or hear, watch.
0: The, yeah, uh, I, I love The Power of Yet. Yeah, great. Um, watch you. that. Watch that. Oh, I do love that. That messaging is really, really good for coaches. Um, and one
1: podcast that you listen to or recommend?
0: Um, oh, I must admit, I'm not a podcast person. Pods, oh, pardon the pun. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a, really a podcast person. I, I've got time I, in the car. I like to tune out from the world and just listen to music. And when I'm at work, I'm, I'm too busy talking, as you can probably tell.
1: Great. Uh, one coaching point of us everyone this on teaching ground balls.
0: Uh, oh, one point. Oh, I've got a couple for you. Um, f- feet, feet, and fingers. It's the feet F-s. And fingers. Feet. And <laughs> fingers. It's Good. all about the F's in the ground ball, and sometimes you have to use the F every now and then just because you're frustrated. But it's feet and fingers. <laughs> yeah, great.
1: Question five: uh, One game you play uh, with players that's not footy, and why?
0: Uh, we play a. It's more well, ground balls. We play a ground ball corridor um, tennis ball game. Yeah. So it's, it's and it's opposition. Obviously, it's six on six normally. It sometimes goes out to eight on eight, and it's it's basically. Corridor footy in the old chestnut, but it's with a tennis ball, and you only move the ball on the ground with it with a tennis ball. And then we get another bigger ball to come in, then we finally use a footy to as a footy component. But yeah, great, it's it's ground ball tennis ball footy. Um, it's it's really cool, it's good fun. It's basically a corridor footy, six on six. The ball can only be on the ground, you've got to pick it up cleanly to pass it off on the ground to your team, mate. Great, love it, love the sound of that.
1: Yeah, except I'm too tall for ground balls, mate. I was a marking (laughs) cord. (laughs) Get your feet in the right spot. No, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Fingers and feet. Got it. Um, Number six, last one. What's your most important value?
0: Most important value. Um, Oh, gee whiz. I think my most important value is um, respect. Respect for everyone that you come across. And as a senior coach... Um, that's I think that's a really important thing because you come across so many different people in so many varied roles, and that can be you, you know, from a club perspective, you got your fan who who just loves your footy club and just loves the fact that the navy blues out there every week and and the passion that they evoke is quite special. But you've got to be able to respect them for that. You've got to be able to respect the president respect the, the head trainer and understand their role, respect and understand their role. So I think respect is, and the players for what they are and understand them as as people as well. So I think respect is probably my most important value. Um, and I think it goes for life too. You, you try and teach your, teach your kids all that sort of stuff, don't you? That respect yeah. people for, for who they are and don't judge them. Just respect them and just work with them. And once you do that, you get a really positive response more often than not
1: mate that's a um yeah i agree and it's a fantastic uh spot for us to to finish up mate half um just want to thank you for your time number one obviously uh you've, you've volunteered your time um you're not in coaching season technically and we're all going through a tough time but mate thanks very much for for doing this and all our coaches i'm sure will appreciate it um, i sort of didn't know what to expect i know i've been on the other side of the uh fence when you've interviewed me on the radio a couple of times on on your show so uh I was a little bit nervous about um, talking coaching with you. I didn't know what to, as I said, expect. But clearly, you've got a um, a deeper passion than even I, I, um, I thought that you had about coaching. And you know, I wish you all the best. Clearly, any club that you're going to be at, um, Carlton or beyond, you're going to make the club better. We can we can clearly see that, mate. So, uh, thanks very much for sharing your coaching journey tonight on Max Mentors.
0: Good on you, buddy. Anytime. Happy to help. And, and as any good coach knows, it's all going beautifully until you get sacked. So just keep going.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Great, mate. Just like, just like radio. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Wow. What an insightful chat. I hope you all enjoyed it and got some learnings out of it. I think his passion is almost unmatched. Now, to my top three takeouts. Number one, you need to make people believe. Believe that they are good enough to succeed. Now, half does that through telling stories and setting realistic goals. Half talked about everyone having a different level of success that they're striving for, and everyone needs to find their own level. Once you do, half talked about setting smaller goals that help you achieve your bigger goal along the way. Ticking off those smaller goals along the journey just gives your players belief they can achieve much more. Number two, run to the raw. This was a great analogy and something I hadn't heard of. Potentially, the fact that I've been hiding under a rock hasn't helped, but this is basically talking about facing your fears head on. Sometimes, running to the raw will give you your best chance of success, and I think this is a great attitude that Half sounds like he instills in his players. And number three, building relationships is key, we know, but it is challenging to find time. Half does this by having short conversations in and around training that just starts to build each relationship brick by brick. Clearly, being a part-time coach would be a real challenge to find time to build really deep and meaningful relationships with your players. One of the things we did talk about, though, it is a two-way street, so make sure you educate your players that they need to come to you as much as you go to them. Okay, that wraps up Episode 3 of Max Mentors. A big thank you to Half for sharing his passion and his journey in coaching, and a big thank you to you for listening. We'll see you next time.